I don't, it, man, if you're going to take one thing away from this movie, it's that new things are bad. <laughs> oh, and you know what? It's just... <sighs> <laughs> I'm so exhausted and we haven't even started. Like, I just... I guess, like, also, like, 2016 was a little bit different, but anti-millennial humor, it just Holy makes shit. it just makes me want to just j- jump f- jump high and far. <laughs> I just yeah, <laughs> I j- it's yeah. I know. What I mean, I have so many other irritating takeaways, but I'm not I'm not loving this film. I don't know if yeah. that's yeah, a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> It like if for me it is worlds better than two. Oh, like, totally. Yeah. I, I I mean two. I like. I think I actively hated two. This one is not a good movie, but there's something like oddly not endearing exactly because a lot of the rhetoric it is based on is like you said it best, PJ. Weirdly reactionary, but it's bad in a way that I can like let happen to me as opposed to um, bad that I feel subjected to. You know? Yeah. It's like it's like a boss who is harassing you, but he's so witty. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> actively harmful, you know? I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to come around saying, well, I don't know if this movie's harmful. I don't know if it popped up on any kind of radar in such a way that it could be uh, influential as much as it is taking the temperature of where, like, British like boomers and gen x people were in in 2016 and their their reactions to i don't know pop mm. feminism um the it's just it's such a second wave ass movie it's Weird. no it, it stands out i mean i mean before we get into the movie here's here's a question what are some other franchises that could get a way too late sequel where the now outdated main character from the last movie um, spends a bunch of time being like, I'm going to put your avocado toast up your ass. Because that worked so well for Shaft that I'm just thinking, like, <laughs> is there a way that, like, is there a way that Snake Plissken from Escape from New York could come back and have a son where he's just like, listen, I don't know what a reblog is and I don't know what sexual consent on the blockchain is. <laughs> but we've got three hours to get the president out of here or something like it's that. A good thing I've uh, compiled all the dark magics necessary <laughs> to bring uh, Walter Matthau back to life. Because I think we can make this happen in Grumpy Est, old men. <laughs> I think we could really send that series home with him going like, um, well, if you're the same number, Barbara's right in. I, man, I don't know. This one's like. It's so. This one feels ethereal. It feels as though I dreamed it. I don't know. Especially like, I I think for me. Well, f- fucking. Let's like actually do this podcast. Hi, welcome to Dead Horse, a podcast where we talk about underdiscussed film franchises, the unsung, the unheralded, the rightfully derided. Um, and I'm Dixon. You probably remember me best from the uh, collection of cicada skins that my brother kept in his room in egg cartons. I'm Becky, and you know me from when I was a hero and I, <laughs> I skipped over the earthworms every day. I never killed a single one. <laughs> I probably killed some. Uh, my name is PJ, and you probably know me for 
uh, the one particularly sentimental day on the playground um, where I took a cicada that I was not aware was dying uh, and kept it as a pet on my shoulder for the whole of recess and named her Sadie. Um, she's She's been dead since about halfway through that very recess. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I dislike this movie more than both of you. Yeah. I, yeah. When I finished it, I couldn't decide if I liked it less than two. Wow. I really hated it so much. But I laughed very hard when they misstepped. So I enjoyed those moments. <laughs> mm. Like there were certain moments I just cackled laughing because it was so bad. So mm. in that way, I enjoyed it more than two. But <laughs> wow. Yeah. Like that's the thing is that even though I think I have a more positive impression of this movie than you... One, it's still not by any means a good impression. And two, I can't think of anything positive to say about it, really. I guess it just, like, yeah. truly the only way in which it is better to me is just, you know, in the indescribable way, things hit you when you watch them. Yes, like, yes, yes. There's no way for me to articulate why I like this one more than two, um, except that maybe it isn't quite as overtly racist, mm. <laughs> maybe? Uh, well... We do make a lot of gnocchi jokes that are oh, just... Oh, right. I forgot about that. Foreign, foreign, names, foreign names sure are hard, are hard to, to pronounce. pronounce huh? And we do drink to, to foreign names who genocide their entire country. <laughs> and I was just <sighs> like, this is so annoying. And these it's... white women are at a festival. I already want to die. I already want to <laughs> die that we're here. And she mistaked Mis mistook one foreign leader for another. Like, I'm supposed to love this woman? I couldn't find anything. So this movie, um, Bridget Jones, you know her from her series of diaries. Um, she's doing like well. She's um, you know, the person in TV where uh, their job is to say the stuff that the person on TV <laughs> says. <laughs> Uh, that's her job, and she's uh, making, I assume, a whole lot of money doing that. She goes to a festival and sleeps with <laughs> Jack Quant. <laughs> she sleeps with Jack Quant um, in the Quant tent. Played by Patrick Dempsey. Oh, I will get to him. My God, we will. And then um, goes to... Evil. Goes to a, a wedding where Gangnam Style plays. It wasn't a wedding. It was a christening. Oh right, okay. That's that's christening <laughs> music. Worse. Yeah. Do you think the christened child walked up to the DJ and <laughs> held up a note that said "Sigh Gangnam Style"? <laughs> anyway, so uh, she fucks Colin Firth uh, that night, and then uh oh, she's pregnant. And who's the dad? Is it uh, Jack Quant <laughs> or is it Colin Firth? Um. So yeah, that's the movie. Uh. Is Patrick Dempsey the worst actor alive? <laughs> I don't even know that it's that he's a a bad actor. I think he takes some really confusing characterization. Mm. He really deepens how impossible it is to trust or like this guy. Like all of the dogs that start barking when they sense a Terminator um, would start screaming if they saw this guy. I, I think it's yeah. that they're just... There are too many thick, syrupy levels of wish fulfillment on him. Yes, <laughs> To such yes. a degree that he stops feeling 
like he makes any sense in the Bridget Jones universe. Absolutely. I I can't even say that I, I liked this movie. I'm in the camp with Dixon that I think this is like a measurable improvement over two. But I, I think Becky and I probably hate like identical things about it. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of it comes down to... Like, we, we tried to call our shot in, like, the first episode where we were talking about how it would be interesting to see Bridget Jones escape 2001 and exist in <sighs> the modern world. And there are... I, I will try to make a case that there are moments where that seems like it kind of happened in some places gracefully, um, but not in most of them, because most of this movie is about um, being uncomfortable with the way things have changed and with these these loud, obnoxious millennials. And um, have you ever noticed that sometimes they have man buns and sometimes they have beards? How about Instagram? And, and a lot of it comes to this weird, confused fulcrum with Jack Quant of the billion-dollar website Quantify, which... Uh, wait, okay. Okay. So, oh, no. Okay. His... Fuck. What women quant. Very good. Thank you. His website, which has made him not a millionaire, but a billionaire off of a dating algorithm. It looks like a Flash website from 1999. It looks like AmandaPlease.com. It looks like a Nickelodeon.com click-a-majig. It looks like Elf Yourself. Do you know? <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood's conception of what the internet is began and ended yes. at the virus that Wayne Knight puts into the Jurassic Park security <laughs> system. Like, that's where it stopped. Like, that's where everybody figured it out. This was made in 2016. Like, you can make a... You, we would believe if you made a better website than that. <laughs> and... Like, hipster beard jokes and shit, like, man bun jokes were tired in 2012. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the well that they're still getting water Hashtag from? let's do it, dicks. Hashtag let's Hashtag do it. Let's huh? do oh, this. my God. That, they ended the scene with that line. Not only was it in the scene, but that was, like, the button joke to the scene. Oh, That's my rough. God. Wait. Used as a... Fueled by anxiety of, like, the ageist world that she's living in which yeah yeah you're right the world is ageist but the way you're acting is annoying (laughs) yeah well what are what are its gripes with millennial culture like the the first movie as as ellen put so beautifully in the last episode was that a lot of these have like a kind of satire that is directed at like self-help books and self-help magazines and this sort of external pressure on women to to have it all um that is is harmful i guess um but i don't what is the satirical target of this like what what is silly about millennials in this world that they that they scream punani that's that's the most bizarre thing to me is like even though So at this time period, even though I disagree vehemently with people who do this, I like in some way get making fun of Occupy Wall Street. Again, disagree completely with that, with, you know, making fun of it in general. But like, you know, I could see how like 
a reactionary brain can make that. I do not understand why a group who is clearly supposed to be surrogates for Pussy Riot, like, get lambasted as much as, like, you know who we really need to stick it to in 2016? Those Pussy Riot girls. What the fuck? I don't understand why there were so many, like, anti, like, feminist, like, feminazi jokes. Like, literally, the mom was like, didn't we have enough rights? Like, they couldn't get to her in time to have her baby. Like, literally, womanhood of, like, 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 giving birth was halted by those nasty feminists. It's like, what the (laughs) fuck are you guys trying to tell me? That's really it, isn't it? Yeah, it's... Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that, but you're completely right. That is like, oh, God. It's like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to, like, glean from this, except that, like, you hate activism, and (laughs) and you boil it down to angry 25-year-olds. And it's like, I guess we disagree then. And that's another thing is that they don't even, you know, display their completely misguided interpretation of what millennials want. Like, there's no behavior depicted um, (laughs) that makes it clear, like, they're trying to make fun of millennials. Characters just say stuff, and we're meant to, like, Bridget Jones has a whole speech about how, like, when my baby grows up, I hope it's, like, I hope it's cool to be, you know, to to want more from this world and stuff like that. And this was in a meeting where she's getting fired. Rightfully. Rightfully for making a complete racist botch of an interview. Yeah. Where she um, gets a general's, uh, an Asian general's chauffeur Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. being interviewed while the actual general was like, waiting in the green room and so she's rightfully fucking getting fired and she's going on this whole anti-millennial screed that has nothing to do with why she got fired nor did we really see any like embarrassing Mm -mm. bad millennial behavior depicted it just comes out of nowhere literally the stupidest thing i've ever seen and then the music plays and we're supposed to be like oh yeah get it bridget you tell those funky millennials what the fuck's (laughs) up and it's like no, like, she deserves to be fired for, like, an incredible, like, just incredible incompetence. And I, I, mean, I yeah. at this point in the movie, hated her. Like, for all the decisions she's made, like, both in her personal and professional life. And I, I think what it is, is, like, in the second film, it's such a mess, but Bridget's still there. Mm-hmm. Who the fuck is this woman? Like... I don't know. Mm. I, I'm I'm even having trouble. Like, two feels like a fever dream to me as well. So I'm even having trouble remembering <laughs> some of it. But, like, she feels like a grumpy, cynical woman who's really dishonest and hurtful to two men who should know something that she won't tell them. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... And gets fired and gets rightfully fired for this shit. And I just, like, I don't... She's not even a bad... Okay, so I know that the whole thing is she's supposed to be a bad public speaker, which I want to get into that later because I actually think that that whole attribute of hers is really blown out of proportion in general as, like, a character quirk. Mm-hmm. But in this one, she's not a bad public speaker in this. So, like, who are... who? It, what other attribute are we even dealing with? All she does is just not do her job well by not paying attention when she's supposed to be whispering into, like, the mic to tell that woman what to say. She just takes a call. I was already done by then. I was like, 
you just took a call in the middle of this. That's not funny. This is infuriating. I will say that it was a relief to this movie does get away a little bit from intense public humiliation it does. as a recurring thing. Um, like there are definitely still elements there. Like Bridget does botch some stuff, um, but oftentimes it's not happening to her and it's not quite as like, it doesn't always take that like weird, distinctly sexual bent that it right, had in right, two right. when it happened. It is, it does lay off of that yes. in a way that I think is, like the one positive one of the positive results of the time because that was what i was thinking when i was talking about me wanting to see this franchise get into 2016 because i was hoping that it would you know shed some of like the shed some of its regression you know and i'm not trying to act holier than thou i was real fucking piece of shit um in like 2001 and 2004 but i i'm really trying not to be now mm-hmm. and i was hoping that this movie would be trying not to be now but no there are there are claw marks in the floor <laughs> from this movie trying to get back to the year 2000 you were such <laughs> like, a piece of shit when you were 8 by the way yeah you were you honestly canceled dixon when he was 8 <laughs> i'm glad you're being accountable now for what you were like when you were 8 <laughs> find my tweets from 2001 <laughs> All the things that you were posting on the Angel Fire message boards. <laughs> yeah, this this thing has a, a very a very weird uh, uh, tension with its with its times. I'm 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 trying to think because like there there are these ways that like that times have changed. You know, her workplace is seemingly a lot less hostile. She actually has like other I like that other she like she has a good job. Yeah, she has a good job. She has, like, other women around her that she's working for and with and in cooperation with that seem to support each other for the most part. Even her, in in a, a weird arc that I don't know how I feel about, but I don't know that I hate, uh, Neil Pearson as Richard Finch from the first two, the really, really, really creepy boss from the TV station, is still hanging around... Um, but has had a change of heart and finds himself advocating for for Bridget, you know, a lot. Oh my god, I did not even know that was him. Yeah. Weird, right? The guy who's, uh, <laughs> I believe that is him. I believe that is him. I'm shocked because I was like, oh, is this a new guy who's, he likes Bridget and he's very nice. <laughs> yeah. It's It's weird that the arc seems to put them on a level playing field. You know, you would expect it to either he gets like out where he gets fired in the interim or like he becomes her subordinate. But the resolution of that thread from the first two movies seem to be that now they're like they have a they both have jobs that wield about the same amount of power. It's strange. It's it's definitely I don't know that, that he goes around from being like the exact image of like. A, a harmful, abusive boss who's, like, making comments about her ass to pleading with their new boss, no one contributes to this place like Bridget, is... I guess I like what they're trying to do on paper. But I think I mm. like what they're trying to do on paper is akin to how... I think I've ended up feeling about a lot of Bridget Jones movies. You know, the paradox, I think, of all of these movies that this one kind of lays bare and... Um, y'all let me know if you agree, is that on the one hand, while they're able to, you know, satirize gender norms, 
um, and the expectations that are placed on them, whether it is you need to find a steady partner because you're 32, or it's, you know, you have to find uh, a father for this baby because you're going to have one and you can't be a single mom. Um, While it wants to, like, make fun of those pressures, it also enforces them at, like, like every turn i think um this movie really wants to have it both ways because it acknowledges that she that bridget could be a single mom if she wanted to but she's gonna be right back in a love triangle ending up with the same guy as the last two movies again and again and even if i thought the love triangle was a little bit more interestingly plotted this time around than it was in two um you can't help but get a little exhausted by seeing her need to end up with Mark Darcy again in the, in mm-hmm. pretty much the same way. You know what's interesting yeah. is, hmm. like, I weirdly don't mind that part of the movie. Like, because you're so right. It is exhausting. You're like, come on, <laughs> stop dancing this way. Like, hook yeah. up or don't. Stop falling in mud. Stop doing the... Gangnam Style. <laughs> I actually like there is something between them as actors and yeah. as characters that mm-hmm. was here more so than in two. And yeah. I actually didn't mind and like that they were like meant to be together and it finally happened. I actually like that. Mm-hmm. I hate everything else though. <laughs> like I think <laughs> I think I just hate everything else. I hate the way it happened. I hate that it took so long. I hate the triangle so much. Mm. I, this, this woman who had a very anti-science reaction to, to a procedure that would really solve a lot of her problems, which is like that little sample. And I'm not, I've never been pregnant and I've never been afraid for my fetus. So maybe there's like this chemical thing that'll kick in and I'll eat my words one day when I'm trying to figure out if it's, um, one of my two lovers, um, child, (laughs) but I was just like, so angry that the movie lets her get away with stringing them both along dating Mm. them and tricking them and and allowing both of them to believe that she's going to like have their child i thought that that was so evil and i can't believe they tried to play it off as a quirky bridgetism to me it was irredeemable and the fact that Mm. they both were the fact that patrick dempsey was sociopathically game i was like oh like you're not a real person this is the worst character ever for him to just be like yeah i'm actually in i'm a billionaire and i'm interested in this woman with not too many traits like <laughs> i don't know sorry i feel like i'm being so hateful i just really no, no, didn't no. like it no i'm, no, I'm so can... relieved that you can that you can hit this stuff because like i don't <laughs> yeah. want to seem like i am letting it off the hook for this stuff there are things that i think are interesting but they yeah. are they are little it's it's like you ate like a bunch of fiber but you also swallowed some glitter and there are parts of the turd that are <laughs> i think they have some shine on them i i actually do agree with that like like with Colin Firth i feel like he really brings it even though they t- <laughs> even though they try to depict him as this fucking sex god as they walk through the fucking oh my god you guys i fucking lost it when he walks through um, the christening when they're about to fuck and there's all that like slow motion and like sexy music playing and it's just like Colin Firth like 
like almost 15 years later like it didn't work then and it doesn't work now (laughs) (laughs) and oh god they try to make him like be like really really sexy and it's like you guys it's not what it's about with them but but Mm. as a viewer i do know what it's about with them so it's okay i think yeah like I, i mean their chemistry comes from like it, not from overt hotness, but from like a, a reticence, exactly. and from like the the romance of like coaxing coaxing out uh, like warmth, which you mm. know is like a weird problematic notion unto itself. But also like you know I get, I get it, I get, and I get how it's satisfying to see that depicted. But like this movie <laughs> struggles a little bit with that. I don't think as much as the last one, where he was just this huge fucking piss baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think Firth's performance is a little bit warmer in this movie, yeah. even oh, yeah. though um, the script doesn't always like let him be a, a reasonable human being. He still seems like a person. Mm-hmm. I, I will say with Patrick Dempsey, there was um, one moment where I thought like um, I, I thought that uh, his character was really clear, and it's during that um, montage of his morning routine, and he's narrating, and he says, I live in the American Gardens building on West 81st Street on the 11th floor. My name is Patrick Bateman. I'm 27 <laughs> years old. I believe in taking care of myself in a balanced diet and a rigorous exercise routine. Uh, there is an idea of Jack Quant, some kind of abstraction, but there is no real me, only an entity, something illusory. <laughs> I was saying to PJ last night that every line that Patrick Dempsey has is Patrick Bateman explaining Huey Lewis in the news to Jared Leto right before he axes him in the back of the it's head. It's so horrible. Like, it's it's horrible. The writing is horrible. And I would honestly argue, like, you can bring someone poorly written like that something. And Patrick Dempsey said, I'll bring you a, I'll bring you a dad in a commercial into this movie like that's it he felt like he's just like i'm your perfect dad and i just it was so bad i it would take an actor of enormous caliber to make you believe for a single second that bridget jones is not going to end up with mark darcy like you're already like at a loss when your central tension is so like telegraphed and if you really want to upend uh, what audiences think are going to happen, you need someone, you need a real fucking heavy hitter. And Patrick <laughs> Dempsey just like, just can't fucking do I'm I'm not sure I've ever seen him in anything else. And so I, I don't believe that like, this is all him, like why he doesn't work in this movie. It also is the the writing, like he's he's tasked with doing these monumentally strange things like, um, like, uh. He asked him uh, when he finds out he might be the parent of uh, Bridget's child, he um, makes up this dating history that they had to sort of like bridge the gap between, you know, first meeting and having a child. And it's the scariest shit in the world. I literally was like, what? Who was like, this is really romantic. It came off so manic and weird and like out of left field and honestly not believable like why would a billionaire do this <laughs> yeah he's being like and then we had our first fight and i brought you these flowers <laughs> yeah, man. it sounds like something that he would say to someone who's like tied up while he's like <laughs> showing them like a slideshow of like drawings he made of stages in their relationship except he's drawn it in like pig's blood no i mean he he really is like like abjectly 
very scary. And I don't think it's just because, like, <laughs> billionaires are inherently scary. Tech industry billionaires are inherently scary. Let's be real. The real-life version of this guy, if he was, like, if he was modeled after, like, Jack Dorsey or something, he would be, like, ritual ritualistically, like, shaving his eyebrows and, like, eating deer meat that he hunts on him. Like, hunts himself in the backyard where he had deer installed. He would certainly not be this, like cable knit sweater wearing dream guy and and the notion to make him to make jack went um a perfect dream guy is baffling to me i guess the reason it's there is that the only way you could root against mark darcy being the guy right is if the competition is someone who would be in theory, really good for Bridget, really good for the baby, gonna give her stability, he has spent his whole life, um, I guess, studying what makes love work, except whatever thematic thing they are going for with him being obsessed with algorithms and people finding the perfect person, which, one, I think is a very weird thing to satirize, because if you go on OkCupid, like, it's really not that algorithmic. Like, the quizzes that you take are like, are you a side sleeper or a back sleeper? Have you smoked a cigarette in the last six months? Do you like getting in political conversation? Good stuff to know, you know? I mean, some of it's just cute mm-hmm. personality stuff, but it's, it's, it's not like you're leaving it all up to a machine. Second of all, it's not really like that changes his behavior or his view of love i guess it's all just a setup for mark darcy to give that speech to him to say i don't know how to take a a vertical photo graph on my telephone i don't know how to be the perfect algorithmic boyfriend i don't know what a wop is and i don't know what a dodger cat is all i know is that my love for british jones british jones my love for british jones uh, defies all calculation um, I, I guess it really is just all a setup for for him to yeah. double down on, like, fuck your perfect millennial world. I have no place in it. I love Bridget Jones, and I just am the way I am, and I'm not going to fit in your little avocado-shaped box. Whatever. I And you're, you're also waiting for there to be, like, this second layer to him. It doesn't have to be a Daniel Cleaver scumbag twist, but you're waiting for there to be, like, yes. what is this human... Yeah part of him that shows me how he exists in this world and because he's really just there to be an impediment to like Darcy and Bridget you you never Mm-mm. you never really get that all he does is well what, what you find out what he does is is um and who he is is someone holding their baby at the end of the film <laughs> yeah that's all Fucking... uh. and there's like a lot of lip service paid to you know motherhood not having like you know it doesn't have to be this this heteronormative uh like you have to have a husband thing like there's a lot of talking about that but at the end they make absolutely damn sure that there is no and i'm putting this in air quotes abnormalities in bridget's situation Mm -hmm. there is a single second where I thought when they were about to go like get tested, where I thought that Bridget was going to stop them and be like, you know what? I I don't want to know who the father is. I want both of you in my life in some capacity. 
and like we're all going to figure this out and be like you know not a polycule but like a unit in some way nope colin firth is dad she's marrying colin firth she's marrying colin <laughs> yeah. firth he's the yeah, dad he's the dad nothing strange there's nothing weird about this yeah i i hear you but i also would have been more furious if they had a polyamory situation with jack quant i couldn't stomach that because he's like no no i i I totally agree I with, with that notion. <laughs> I don't want I don't want Quant in the mix. It, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Where it's like at the end, she's a a thin white woman with a husband and a baby. Like it's just like things mm-hmm. like worked out and like yeah, and and it's just like right. The implication is clear uh, because I believe that right after um, Emma Thompson, uh, who really gets the the brunt of uh, a lot of the anti millennial sentiment, I feel like. Am I am I misremembering? I don't know. I feel like she had some. I feel like she 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 mostly was just talking about medical things in a really funny magnetic way that made me yeah. have a sigh of relief sometimes. Easily, yeah. She's the MVP. Yeah. She's the MVP of the on-screen characters and also I was, apparently the screenplay. I was, but we that can, was we can really that. strange oh, that right. she had a hand in this because this is not like charming. <laughs> good <laughs> yeah and she is so charming and like i'm actually i mm-hmm. totally forgot because i remember pj you said that last time that's a bummer because she slaughters her, her time um in, in like like you were saying pj there are moments in this film that are kind of funny there were a few points that i laughed most of them involved her mm-hmm. i actually like the millennial boss i thought she was like pretty committed as much as i hate the sentiment of what she stands yeah, for. I, I thought I her performance her was, was good. What's that actor's name? It's uh it's Kato Flynn. Yeah, yeah she's com- she's a good she's actor. She's a good actor. I, a completely thankless character is weird given, to me. But, but she yeah. did she did real well with it. Absolutely. Yeah. But she's funny. Like she's just funny. Um but Emma oh, Thompson yeah. was was so great and it's a shame that she made something like this because it makes me think, oh, does Emma Oh, does Emma Thompson think these things? <laughs> I, the, you know what? I think I'm actually going to take back my my assent with y'all that she is the MVP. I don't know. Like, I think part of it was just be, of an awareness that she had a hand in this script that made me kind of like side eye her character. Oh, that makes sense. And maybe I think that made me like project the anti millennial uh-huh, sentiment onto uh-huh. her. But like all of her all of her bits seem like I don't know. Like she's working on her tight five. Like, it, <laughs> it, it just seems like she'll be like, boom, I'll just pop myself in here real quick. Um, and it is it is like, you know, she's, of course, a charming, magnetic performer. I'm absolutely not going to say that she's not. But it just felt like, a I don't know. A little Ricky Gervaisy. Yeah, yeah. That's a great way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Little, but you know um, what? I needed it in this piece of shit. I, like, <laughs> I, I needed a second of like her pr- being like, oh, that's um the, a new Dr. Pringles. I thought that was really funny. And I just mm-hmm. needed it because so much of this. I, I mean, Renee's not funny in this. Really? Oh my god! I'm sorry. <laughs> I hated it. No, 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 no. I, I, I. No, tell me how you're feeling about it. I, I found her so unfunny. I, I don't have any performance issues with her. I think she's. I'm impressed that she's able to retain the character. You know, it's it's interesting. This movie was in development hell for a long time, and they kept trying to figure out the script. There was going to be a draft. 
with Daniel Cleaver in it. And thank fucking God that didn't happen. Mm. Um, Hugh Grant was continually, like, not satisfied with the script, bowed out, and that's why... Um, that's why Daniel Cleaver is dead in the movie. Is or is he? <laughs> Jerk off motion. Um, <clears throat> you know, Emma Thompson was brought on to do a, a script polish to try to get it to something that, like, the actors could feel okay about. And I, I think when it's not, like, making fun of funny foreign names or, like, avocado toast, I would argue there's, like, a moment or two of dialogue in this movie that come across as as witty to me but it's still the the entire pitch of of this script which i think is meant for an audience that i just can't relate to is i I think that's where a lot of the problems are but i think zellweger manages to keep bridget in in this place of vulnerability um while while making her believably a little bit smarter and a little bit more confident. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's just my interpretation of it, though. I, when, when you have a character that is this, like, grindingly frustrating, I... I can, I can kind of, I can kind of agree with you there. There was this weird thing with Zellweger where, like, she had taken, like, six years out of the public eye. She just, like, hadn't been in anything for six years. She had voiced that she was getting really, really exhausted with the kind of scrutiny that she was getting from tabloids, especially as it pertained to, like, her body and Mm. her weight, um, and wanted to, like, go off into the world and have some anonymity for a minute. And when she came back, she had, you know, aged a little. And there was, like, a two-year news cycle of, like, did she get plastic surgery or what? Well, I I do think she did at one point, and it was pretty notable. I don't think that she should have been scrutinized, but I don't think it was just that she aged. I think she, if I'm I'm recalling correctly, there was, like, some quite different uh, surgical procedure done to her face. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not excusing that as a culture. I just, I just, I don't think that it was invented. I hear you. Yeah, Savannah did did mention that like news cycle that like kind of I I missed this just because I was um I was <laughs> I was too I, I guess I'm just too good a person. No, that's <laughs> not true. I was just really depressed and only watching House in 2016 <laughs> because of how sad I was. Um, that's redundant. Yeah, it, it didn't help. It really didn't help. I gotta say, season season seven of House. Weird that it didn't help. Holy shit! I cannot, I cannot tell you. Like, if I wasn't already like uh, toying with notions that would eventually put me in, <laughs> put me in the psych ward for a second, the seventh season of House probably would have gotten me there. Uh, I want to mention something, PJ, something you said made me yeah. clear, like made me realize, I think, why I feel this way. I feel like the reason that um, Bridget Jones won is so winning to me is because she is like such an underdog in this culture that is like rooting against her. And yeah. in this, she's like a woman, respectably, in power, right, who has learned more and is a little bit smarter, is now reached her perfect weight which we'll talk about that um 
who wants to have sex more and then makes a really, really irresponsible decision. Like, nothing in it is, like, this underdog that I'm rooting for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not even... I didn't even get, like, a real sense of a person besides this sort of overworked, irresponsible woman. And and I and I, I just... I just... I think the, Bri- the Bridget Jones that I loved... I think I loved her because she was working towards something and now yeah. I feel like she's she she was like almost like undercutting everything that she's worked for with all yeah. of her decisions. And so it was really hard for me to root for her in this film. Yeah, it felt like she sort of I, I think I mentioned being frustrated with like I don't know, the constant highs and lows and exaggerations in in Bridget Jones 1, but I think I'd like to walk that back a little now. I really missed in this movie the sense that, like, the universe was stacked against her. Yeah, me too. Because now it seems like she's fully assimilated into the role of somebody who you'd be, like, the screenplay of one would want you to hate, you know? Yes. It's like like uh, uptight like young people bashing like Mm -hmm. boss who like just is completely unsympathetic towards uh like others and is racist (laughs) yeah exactly like it was just really hard for me to find something that i wanted to root for because it's like she had everything and then made huge mistakes i i think um, I do think that there were some... Mo- I think that Renee Zellweger acted this perfectly well. I think it's mostly a writing thing. I, I agree. It's really... That makes sense to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It really feels like they just... I mean, it's hard to make this movie and have the have the same semblance of a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that tracks to me. There's There's only so much of this stuff that transfers as easily... And I yeah. think having that kind of a gap in time when you're going back and trying to, like, have it feel like it retains any of what was, like, special in in the first one is really, really, really hard. And, so uh, hard! Like, a, a script this annoying doesn't really, like, do them <laughs> a ton of favors. I was thinking <laughs> about, like... Um, Br- Renee Zellweger was talking about coming back to it and... There had been some conversation about, like, like I think people were asking her, like, can you put the weight on again? And one of the things that had kind of fucked with her before she'd, like, taken her break from, like, from doing public visible work was that uh, the work of, like, putting on a bunch of weight for a character and then trying to lose it very quickly is medically taxing. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And... I think that had gotten hard on her. I I had heard a rumor floating around that they were originally going to use a fat suit for this movie. Oh, God. And I I understand why Zellweger did not want to, like, undergo the, like, Christian Bale thing. And I'm glad in the end that they did not put her in a suit. I think... absolutely. But that line that you were highlighting, Becky, about her being down to... Her perfect weight. You know, even though she contextualizes it for the audience when she says that it's a more shallower comfort, it's still like, oh, okay, so I'm I'm thin now. We're all good now that we have that out of the way. 
Exactly. Is the exact opposite of what I was hoping for when I was talking about, like, what is what does this character look like transposed into a more forgiving world? And that, that brings me back to this fucking millennial thing. Is mm-hmm. that, like, I, I don't know what their, their beef is with this culture that seems like it is predominantly comprised of people who would have looked at Bridget Jones in movie one and said... Honey, I'm so sorry that happened to you with your boss. Are you okay? Fuck that guy. Yeah. You're beautiful. Yeah. Like, oh you're fucking God. great. We love you. Maybe don't yeah. be racist, but other than that, you're great. You're We love you. Oh my gosh, like, PJ, that is such a good point. Yeah, are we supposed to be, like, wanting to go back to the times when she had to endure <laughs> what she had? Are we supposed exactly. to be like, oh, man, I wish her boss was saying, now zoom in on that polka, and they <laughs> zoomed in on her ass. Oh, my God. Now now they just want me to interview the right person. God, Jesus. <laughs> oh, my God. See, exactly fucking exactly <laughs> y'all just like y'all just honed exactly what it is that i feel like i actually am mad about is like she's complaining about a world that would have accepted her so much more than the one that she left what is the problem that's it you were you and you won you got this great job what are you so mad about i just uh, I, uh, I think part of why this is going back a bit but it ties in part of why the character arc of Bridget's boss unnerves me a little is because it demonstrates that this the the writers of this movie thought about this and like made adjustments in some respects they were like that character was far too monstrous to be to, to, to put him in a movie made today and have that work. Mm-hmm. We need to make significant changes. So, like... We'll have a female monster. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, like, they had an awareness of that, like, some <laughs> things needed to change. Some things, like, we, we, we can't have this be like this in today's society. Right. We can't have this in today's society. Take away women's rights. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they got too much rights. You ever think about that? Have we considered that? I just, I'm annoyed that we have so many rights. We we need to stop depicting uh, sexual (laughs) harassment in the workplace as this fun, flirty thing. And we need to start talking about how entitled Pussy Riot was. Oh my (laughs) God. (sighs) It's so weird. I but was like, I right. was clapping when the Russian authorities <laughs> got them off the fucking steps of that church. Oh my god, just let me do orthodox in peace. There are so many jokes about like fascism that are that are coming in like fall of 2016. Like like one of the most cringy like like 47-year-old trying to write jokes about 27-year-old moments was that um the boss keeps wanting to cut away from the interview to cats that look like Hitler. Um, oh my god! Which which feels like a real like like that was a joke in the Social Network in 2010 about an internet phenomenon from like 2007. But there's also you know there's there's the stuff about like glamping like adding a GL doesn't make it glamorous. If you called him Gladolf Hitler, I don't know that it would excuse all the unpleasantness. Or the jokes about how uh, the the Pussy Riot stand-in 
whining makes you sympathetic for, like, the Russian dictator who was getting so annoyed with them. It's like... And and this kind of courses throughout all these movies is that, like, on the one hand that it, like, acknowledges all of this, like, this privilege and kind of acknowledges that as, like, one of the ingredients in, like, what is it that makes Bridget Jones, like, an out-of-touch bumbler? Because I I do think there's a version of this movie where the experience of being out-of-touch with a culture that seems alien to, to you and that you wish had kind of been around when you needed them... Um, there's a version of that that's relatable, but I don't know that it's, like, there's just a lot of jokes about, like, fascism is this thing that, like, happens in other countries that, that kind of, like, mucks up our, our bit, I don't know, I, I'm running on fumes. I, I know what you're saying, PJ, there was definitely, like, an influence there. Mm Mm-hmm. Of, like, trying to comment on the moment in time, but in such a weird way. Yeah. There, the courtroom well scenes with the Pussy Riot stand and were, were uh, nice only in that we got the chance to see uh, Colin Firth be a big lawyer again. Okay, that's a... <laughs> no, okay, I know He's big, big lawyer, big liar, big dilemma, big letters, big title. I know. <laughs> big, de- big quant. <laughs> big wig, big quant, big baby. Bridget Jones's big baby. <laughs> big baby, um, big, baby. <laughs> big quant, big dilemma. The point... You actually make, like, a very good point that I am latching on to is that how was that the first time we'd ever seen Mark Darcy do the thing that he does? How was that the first time that we ever saw him be a human rights lawyer and give a kind of stirring speech about how... I will say, one of one of the okay jokes is that Mark Darcy keeps trying to correct people. Like, yeah. Okay, the, the Pussy Riot guys, they're not... They're not stupid. There's actually a human rights thing going on here. And all of our blustering characters keep interrupting him. And he's just making a Colin Firth face. Kind of a decent joke. But it's mm-hmm. it's it's oil and water with other parts of, like, this movie's sensibility. It kind of feels like having it both ways. But, like, it's this one moment where you actually see Mark Darcy actively, like, fighting for the rights of other people. And it makes you fall in love with him over again yeah i definitely mm -hmm. liked that that he was like even in his own way trying to like be like no actually wait no yeah uh, Yeah. (laughs) you know i'm never gonna google this that's that's one thing that i don't think that like pissy gen xers and above don't get about millennials and gen z is that they assume we're going to google everything and so like we don't talk anymore but they don't realize that we're far too lazy to do that 90 percent of the time so we do have stimulating conversations like why do they do the wig thing still in england i don't get it yeah they could stop absolutely i I thought the same thing i was just like take take it off you look dumb oh (laughs) no no you look perfect oh thank you okay i (laughs) I think you should get a judge wig though pj (laughs) i think you should actually reinvent judgehood and just wear the same wig you're wearing but wear judge garments and then maybe like so fucking cool and then maybe people can sort of like update and then maybe Colin Firth can wear the wig you're wearing. Mm. Oh while, hell yeah! While he, while he uh, publicly defends um, uh, free speech warriors, and then privately is like, quite annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I know we've been dunking on him, but I got all kinds of stuff 
on me that Colin Firth could wear. Honestly, <laughs> no, I'm I'm really vibing with the idea of like keeping the like like the the wig with like the the bangs and the soft grunge, but I'm wearing like a judge's robe. I feel like that would be like cool a good look. vigilante uniform. Like I could be like Judge Judy and executioner. Yes. This is a tangent, but I was I was looking something up the other day. I wanted to see if it already exists, but I uh, I found myself googling like. Is there a version of the Punisher skull that's like the trans rights flag? And if so, <laughs> how much shit can I put that on? Because I, I feel like it's it's a good way to unite the belts. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm murderous and unhinged, but also trans rights, all cops are bastards. I think that would be like a great update of that character. You could be the Punish she her. <laughs> That was a Bridget Jones three joke. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what are they going? Well, soon they're going to start calling the Punisher the Punisher the Punish them. <laughs> uh, wh- oh my god! What's this next? What is uh, Dave Grohl going to be drumming in the band They Them Crooked Vultures? One, that was extremely funny. Two, it was like a good comedic reversal of what I expected, which still would have been funny because I thought you were going to say them fighters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, what next? Bridget Jones's gender then. (laughs) Oh, boy. Christ. Bridget Jones hooking up with Mark Darcy at a gender reveal party where three people have died because they just packed too much explosives in the smoke bomb. Bridget Jones would have a gender reveal party. It's shocking she doesn't have one in this. This Oh my god, This is why I don't like her, is the assumptions I'm correct about with her. You know how you were afraid to Google anyone British because it's like you're there. You're going to find out they're a turf. Mm-hmm. Like Bridget Jones is somebody who I would just like if I, you know, they did something I in any way respected. I would just like I would be so afraid for them to open their mouths in public and talk about like this. Does that make sense? Yes. You know yeah. what I'm oh, I know exactly what oh, you yeah. mean. You just don't want to ruin your heroes. Like, you know, you'd just be like listening to a casual interview and she's just like well actually i think it's important to value biological females and you're like <laughs> for instance i was giving birth and then these punani <laughs> <laughs> yeah i just i i'm really hopeful that emma thompson did funny things and only that and the rest was just already made before she came in i don't know right what's next they emma thompson <laughs> yeah right they emma thompson <laughs> That's going to be my new Twitter handle. I, do I actually have your permission to steal that? I've got you on the Absolutely, record Absolutely, please. Hell yeah. I will say, like, one of the bright spots for me in this movie is Bridget's friend Miranda, who is a oh, younger yeah, person. Oh, yeah, I like her. Who is supporting her and who is in her, her corner and does want her to go get, like, ethically laid at a festival. Um, she's played by Sarah Soleimani. I think she's extremely likable and cool and i thought she was like a shot of energy in this movie i think like bridget jones going to a festival is both the site of so many of the most tired like millennial satire ideas but also like like there is a premise there like there i would rather see her like go to glattensbury than i would 
watch her go to Thailand. Um, but also all the yeah. business of like them camping out in yurts made me think of a premise that I wanted to see much more, which was Bridget Jones goes to Firefest <laughs> yeah. and ends up there alone. I want to watch like Bridget Jones, like if she's going to actually hate millennials, I want to like see her like crack her knuckles and fucking square up. With like a bunch yeah. of influencers over Fucking like fight me, bitch. over a ketchup yeah. sandwich in a Ziploc bag as they're like getting monsooned, and I want to watch her win. <laughs> when we were watching the festival part, so last night mm-hmm. I watched this in two parts. Uh, like two thirds of it pretty drunk last night, one third of it sober this morning, which I think was the way to do it. Mm. But yesterday when we were watching it, um, when she stumbles into Patrick Dempsey's tent. Uh, Savannah went, uh-oh, whose tent is it? <laughs> <laughs> I literally wrote, it's definitely Miranda she's talking to. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you that Miranda, her name is Miranda, right? Yeah. Yeah, is a is a shot of energy. I am tired. <laughs> Can you tell? <laughs> oh, no. Really livens things up. (laughs) Yeah, that Miranda couldn't stop thinking about her. Um, (laughs) I don't need coffee when I've got Miranda. (laughs) What's her name, Miranda? Oh, yeah, favorite character. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What you got? (laughs) I said she's so unconvincing. I do mean it, though, in that, like, she was a great performer. I'm so tired, though, of the best friend trope who's like, you need to get fucked. Like, I'm so annoyed (laughs) by that. Because the best friend who's, like, overly concerned about their, like, hardworking protagonist's sex life always cock blocks the protagonist. (laughs) Mm. I just find that trope annoying and tired because... It's none of your business. Like, let her fuck if she yeah. wants. Encourage her gently. But, like, I just, it feels very, it feels very 2001 to me, to be frank. Like, that felt like a very That's 2001 real. thing. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. who knows? I'm, I'm, I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe a lot of women do do that. But I just think it's weird. <laughs> Definitely familiar, if nothing else. Definitely, mm-hmm. like, everywhere. I, I just found it boring. It just it just mm-hmm. kept adding to this energy of like this movie was made for people who missed two thousand one and not for anyone else. Like it's yeah. it's just every ten minutes I just feel like do how much longer do I have? Is I kept checking yeah. <laughs> like the spilf. Like get me out of here. I was so <laughs> so fucking trite do you remember Bill. do you remember that okay this is f- i don't remember spilf could you remind me what spilf you're is? not a milf i was she was like i'm not a milf i'm not a mother i'm a spinster i guess i'm a spilf or something like that and it was just like shut shut it down um when they get the <laughs> turn the movie off <laughs> when they get the new boss for the first time and then she's like a little curt or whatever and bridget does I wish our I wish our listeners could see what I'm doing, but what what I'm about to do it makes no sense. So like, just envision some sort of hand gesture that literally doesn't mean anything. Bridget <laughs> just goes, <laughs> and then the woman turns around and sees that, and she's like, "I fucking saw you," and it's like not even like 
What is that? I, I mean, I'm just paraphrasing some stuff we said earlier, but it's like, these aren't the gripes of somebody who's struggling in any way. Like mm-hmm. these, these are the gripes of somebody who is just like, uh, you know, swatting at the flies of people of like the lower classes and people who are younger than her as she like fucking sits atop the tower because she's fucking made it. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just, it's just goddamned exhausting. And I know that like the boss is apparently like cutthroat, firing pregnant women. Okay, okay. But Bridget, the reason you're getting fired is because you weren't working well. Like, that's not what's happening to you. You're not getting cut because you're an aging pregnant woman. Uh Uh-huh. I, and wait, that's, okay. So, like, that's the fucking thing is, is that, like, the script totally makes it clear what side it's on with uh, with re- what it, what it actually means with regards to like all the lip service it pays because the scene after she is fired and she um like uh, essentially dumps Patrick Dempsey is the scene where she like her life completely falls apart because she can't remember her password and she drops her bags in the bank and she gets locked out of her house and like that's that's what happens when you're single like that's what happens yeah. when you when you like fucking you don't you fucking your life falls the fuck apart mm-hmm. and then here comes Colin Firth. It's just like we it you're not being subtle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm starting to sweat. Yeah, me too. I've been sweating for a while. <laughs> On previous episodes, you know, we've we've like joked around about like anti-Italian racism. And, uh, and we've, we've joked about the, the harm of, like, the pizza guy stereotypes, but it, it really is, like, plunging your face into, like, ice water after you've been, like, soaking it in hot water. When you find a movie that actually comes along and is like, no, no, we are racist against Italian people. It's like, it- you don't believe it, and then you go out to, like, I don't know, Temple, Georgia, like that, that part of Georgia that has like a clan owned oyster bar. And they're like, we do not let any goddamn Italians in this bar. And I'm like, oh shit, word, that's up. I don't see anything about trans people though. Am I cool? And they're like, no. Um, and I'm like, well, that's fine. Cause I don't like oysters or the clan or Temple, Georgia. What am I doing here? Um, what the hell is this character's name? There's there's a pizza guy. Oh, who... his name is uh, Luigi Mario. I'm glad I could clear that up for you. No, his, his name, name is, is uh... Mamma Mia Papa Pia. <laughs> his, his name was Pizza Lasagna. <laughs> <laughs> his, his name is Rome Venice. His name Italy Italy. <laughs> his name's uh, Linguini the Boot. <laughs> Giovanni Giuseppevani. <laughs> Monica Giuseppevani. His name is Streganona. His name is. Okay, we're not white. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <sighs> it's it's like this movie. Um, it it's it's a throwback to to second wave feminism. But it's also a throwback to the uh, the nine calendar months in uh, in America in New York at the beginning of the 20th century when Italians were classified as a different ethnic group before they were very easily 
easily assimilated into the extremely flexible idea of what whiteness constitutes. This movie is a throwback to that. Yeah. And it, yeah. <laughs> the the fact that like British or that Bridget goes around calling like calling Irish people mix all the time and just like she keeps being like, Hey, shine my shoes, you fucking Dago. You fucking <laughs> You fucking wop is like so out of date. But I did think it's mature that the two guys in the love story have to learn to work together for the good of uh, Bridget, who that, hates wops. That scene where, um, like you mentioned, the the shoe shining one, and he like gets down on his knees to shine her shoes, and he accidentally pulls out a huge meatball and starts shining her shoes with that, and he, and she goes, "Not like that." <laughs> I think it's... I'm a stupid because of where I'm from. <laughs> I am a that stupid. You know, there's a moment where she's like... I'm going to have the baby, but I can't decide which one it's from. And the waiter comes up and he, he reaches behind Bridget's head and he goes, Oh, was it this behind your ear? <laughs> and he starts just pulling out like a, like a line of handkerchiefs. He just pulls out like a three foot long piece of linguine. <laughs> I did think that was touching. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we're it's like we're all human and you know, it's kind of like we're all one race. They don't say <laughs> this. I don't see Italian. Oh, <laughs> 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 um Yeah, they don't say it in the film, but she actually named her son Pizza Lasagna after the driver. Um because it's just like the cute story of like his birth. Does her son have a name? <laughs> um, I think his name is uh, it's it's gender critical Jones. <laughs> no, um, there it's, is a name. It's gender with a J and critical with a K. <laughs> they named their baby after the Indian man that they couldn't pronounce his name as a joke for the movie about um, Bridget Jones. <laughs> Holy shit, I forgot about that. Oh my god. Oh, I forgot about that. Never mind. <laughs> I, I think I I think I was like, eh, it's less racist, but oh man. Yeah. More has been bubbling for up. For anyone who ha- didn't see this precious piece of cinema um she is at a work event that she completely fucks up um and both her baby daddies are there that she's been stringing along for months seemingly and hasn't told either of them that they could potentially not be the father and they ended up meeting and to distract one of them um she pulls aside an indian man who she pretends to know but obviously doesn't and she can't pronounce his very very long name um, and that's the joke. The joke is that she can't pronounce his name. And it's just like... If they had just, like, just stayed anti-Italian, <laughs> like, if that were the sort of thesis of the movie, as opposed to, like, this weird, uh, like, anti-feminist and, like, racist spear with which to poke uh, the this modern era, if they were just like, it's 2016 and... Fuck it, Hashtag let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> let's do what it is. I just like, I'm not sure if we explain the genesis of, of this of these riffs, but there is just a, a, a character who works at a pizza restaurant 
Um, and he ends up being one of the people who gets Bridget Jones to the hospital um, via his uh, small little Italian pizza car. Uh, and he makes uh, he makes Colin Firth go out and deliver the pizza pies. He literally hides. So he's there when she's telling both Patrick Dempsey and Colin Firth that either of them could be the father. And they cut to him like 50 times. Just like, whoop. Yeah. Ooh, why is she tell her the secrets? Like just <laughs> being so crazy behind that counter. And I'm just like, we don't need to cut to him ever again. Because I get it. He feels uncomfortable. <laughs> Ed Sheeran was in this movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just totally forgot until right now that Ed Sheeran has a not small role in this movie. He's the lead. He That scene where they run into Ed Sheeran and they want him to take a picture of the two of them. And he can't figure out why they don't want him in the picture, but it's because they don't recognize it. Is like, like there's a joke there that they layer on so hard by telling it to you like four or five times to make sure that you get it. Mm -hmm. And I think like, like real life famous people like intersecting into this world is like, is fair game for like the way that they've set stuff up. Like, like mm-hmm. it's kind it's kind of weird, kind of funny that like Salman Rushdie is just like there in the That's first so one. So bizarre, yeah. <laughs> but they're they're just hitting it so 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 hard with the Ed Sheeran thing um, that it, it really really lets the the air out of it. Were you excited when you saw Ed Sheeran pop up? Because for some reason, I immediately thought like, oh, what's what's uh, what's Dixon gonna make of this? I th- when he came on the screen, I st- I jumped up. I started hootering, hootering, hollering. And Savannah will tell you if you call her after we're done recording that I said to her, I said, "There's only three words that can make this any better: Opa Gangnam Style." <laughs> it's like Opa <laughs> Gangnam Style in 2016. <laughs> in 2016. Oh my God. Like you might as well, she might as well have done a Harlem a Harlem Shake video. Like <laughs> she might as well have um, done the Macarena. Uh, what if what if the whole movie like it seemed like it could get into like a Charlie the Unicorn parody at any point? Oh like that's God. how tenuous it's. My grasp favorite on, scene like, was the ice bucket challenge she did with. <laughs> 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 um, Daniel Cleveland, I've been nominated for the Astrophysics <laughs> Challenge by um you Jones. And, uh, <laughs> she should have been mourning Harambe. I mean, it was 2016. <laughs> I think part of the issue, and again, I feel like this is just sort of like a, a paraphrasing of things that we said, but it, it's, it strikes me as like the root of some of the problems for me is like it has that same thing um, uh, that Mummy Returns does where, it's, where it assumes you are so endeared to this character that it's okay that she's now a god. Like mm. she... Everyone wants to. Everyone yeah. wants to fuck her. And if you are a, a, if you pose any sort of an obstacle in her life, you are a real piece of shit who just doesn't get it. And you might be young I, or Italian. I fully agree. <laughs> I couldn't agree with you more, except for the Mummy Returns part. <laughs> yeah. But but no, like I, that's actually exactly what I was gonna start talking about. Was like. The love triangle doesn't work for me because Jack Quant has no reason to be like, I was sad that you left. Like, she was just some random girl. Like, what is so crazy and cool about her? Like, 
but why does her whole office love her? Like, I just find, I find, Dixon, you put it perfectly, it's like, it's written for us to, like, be in love with her and believe that she is just, like, Herculeanly incredible, but I don't see any of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you've made a good point. Like, there really isn't any, like, conversation about what attracts, uh, uh why, um, Quant is attracted to Bridget Jones. Like, that doesn't really ever come up. You're just supposed to sort of assume, like, well, you know, I love her so much because I've been spending these movies with her, and I know that she's, like, plucky and indomitable and has this stick to itiveness. So of course anybody who ever met her would want to either fall in love with her immediately or like try to sabotage her because you're 25. Yeah. Like they didn't even show us like when Jack and and Bridget first kissed. They just cut to them already making out. Um mm-hmm. and that would be fine except that he is like a critical part of this movie and we need to see that their chemistry existed at all. Um, and, and so, like, you never, because there's never that, like, introductory, like, these two people actually really drive, and he could really potentially be with Bridget, that never happens. He always acts like a weird robot husk of a person, um, who's written to be so. So, it, it was never a feasible, like, life trajectory, you know? Uh, wait, Becky, I'm sorry, were you, like, in the bathroom or something during that scene where Colin Firth types Jack Quant into, uh, the website and it says 97% match with Bridget Jones oh. and it goes, congratulations, and then a midi of the wedding march starts playing? Yeah, I was taking a fat shit during that part. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was there when he was journaling about it later and I was like, wait, what is that about? And he was just, like, typing on his iPad and he was just like, I can't believe that she Losing my edge beat. I was there when Colin Firth got on Jack Quant's website. Where were you? (laughs) I mean, the the real problem (laughs) is that he's he's just Mr. Wish Fulfillment. I don't know a whole lot about Patrick Dempsey. I think maybe if I watched like Grey's Anatomy, I would have like a different relationship with him. I like him in Enchanted, where he's a the key to him is that yeah. he's a lot more down to earth than he is here. Um, mm-hmm. I think if there were like a human detail on him that we could latch onto, something about the love triangle could make a little more sense to me. I I do think one of the things in this movie that I unironically do like is that there's a very specific moment where the the two men come into conflict and it seems like Colin Firth is about to put his hand on Patrick Dempsey and he says, no, we're, we're not fighting. We don't do that here. Um, hmm. And although they do have plenty of their own like annoying, petty conflict, I unironically like that this is a movie with a love triangle where these two guys have to figure out how to both be there for Bridget Jones. That, mm-hmm. And while I while I wish that this movie was her figuring out that she could be happy without a guy, I really like that they learn to coexist and that they are both at the wedding and that they are amicable with each other when this thing is all over. Yeah. That is a lot mm-hmm. more mature than I think anything that this series would have done 
in 2004, let alone 2001. Mm -hmm. I wish there were a little more to it. Um, I really like the idea that the three of them have to, like, form a family and that, you know, um, that Patrick Dempsey has to be graceful about realizing that it only ever could have been Mark Darcy and Bridget Jones. Um, mm. and, and he's he's sad about it, but he he's he's at least decent about it. That's yeah the, that's a moment where I was like there's a version of Bridget Jones in 2016 that is a little more mature that we keep getting these glimpses of. And while I was pretty unhappy with like this movie and it's really trite jokes that were supposed to support this story of Bridget Jones feeling like out of touch with the world I will make the argument that I think there was juice in this lemon I don't Mm. think that's all that we were drinking I think we got a little bit of rind and a little bit of the sun-kissed sticker in what was supposed to be our lemonade I'm not answering that I'm not answering my grandmother are you fucking (laughs) kidding me who do you think you are my birthday was yesterday what are you like (laughs) super old or something (laughs) gammy i love you um but you'll also never listen to this fucking podcast can't we gotta cancel cancel gammy you'll never Um, listen to this podcast so don't worry about it um i think uh i think there was there was juice in this lemon i don't think it's all that we were drinking yeah the bits the tiny little morsels of characterization afforded to Patrick Dempsey, I thought were legitimately interesting. Like the one you mentioned, and also um, in another like uh, of, in another bit of a tiff between he and Colin Firth, uh, Patrick Dempsey goes like, "I wasn't wearing a condom, so it was probably yeah. my kid." And um, and then a couple of scenes later, um, out of nowhere, he's like. Hey, I have to tell you something. I like I let him believe that. Like I he's he's gone because I let him believe that the kid is definitely mine and you never said that. And like him eru- having to erupt that like conf- that the idea of that confession like being something he needed to say as opposed to just like hide it and be a complete scumbag I thought Mm -hmm. was like a legitimately interesting take on you know a a, a guy in the Bridget Jones universe but like those bits were just so few and far between and just didn't add up to any kind of a cohesive picture okay so I think I figured out what it is is that I two I think is a much worse movie but this one frustrated me more because there were little hints of like um, the stuff that made me like the first one, um, whether it be in performance or writing or, or direction or whatever, there was just like enough crumbs for me to be really hungry, you know? Mm. Mm, well put. I have a question. So when I was watching it, um, Jake thought. Jake Quant. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was watching it, we were wondering if the point was that Patrick Dempsey was trying to make this work to prove that his algorithm was valid or like Mm. was trying to make it work in this like self-interested way and that he didn't actually love Bridget. That felt like a half idea that they were kind of touching upon because he said to Bridget, 97%, like as though he was trying to make it work like for his own ego or something. Yeah. And 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 that's, that's a really interesting notion that would like in a regular movie like make him sort of a villain. But like you said Dixon, he did just admit 
wrongdoing to her seconds before and he ends up at their wedding so it was sort of a weird like half explored idea that he like did Mm -hmm. this for the algorithm and for his website Mm -hmm. which I don't know that that would have been a better move but I just thought that was weird because I don't really understand his character even more yeah that's a good point you know either way it it being either you know he buys so much into his own algorithm that like he really does believe that this is the best course of action or like he um thinks so highly of his algorithm that he's like doing this and doesn't really care for Bridget that much more than he cares for uh, more than being if he's doing this basically as a big kind of like businessy ego ploy that's also something Mm -hmm. I don't know like but it kind of doesn't you're right it really doesn't do anything with that aside from enough feints for us to go like wait exactly like it didn't really address Mm -hmm. it or explore it it just sort of like left us wondering but um I would say overall the only juice I think that there is in this is that I did like Mark and Bridget coming together in this one much more than I did in two Like, this felt Hmm. like, you know, decades-old love. Like, finally, like, finally we made it. Whereas in the second one, it was was stupid when they were... And the whole thing was dumb at the end. So I I actually... (laughs) (laughs) I put it so well. I'm just so articulate. Um, But I I, I like that at the end of this, it was like... It really did feel like they were meant for each other. Whereas in the second one, it was like a bunch of misconceptions that felt really silly. Um, Mm -hmm. So... For that reason, okay, this movie can exist. But other than that, I thought this was really exhausting, um, completely just misguided. I don't even know who Bridget is anymore, but, you know, Mark Darcy loves her. And when Colin Firth smiled with his teeth, it really shocked me to my core. Um, <laughs> so that was that was my favorite and most j- jarring part of it. Mm-hmm. For me... I guess if I'm summing this up, um, I don't know. I I felt like really conflicted in a lot of ways about this movie um, because I I wanted to articulate why um, like I like it more than the second one, even though I don't really have anything positive to say about it. So I went on uh, the quantified website (laughs) and I typed my name in and Bridget Jones's baby and it said like 30% and then I typed in Bridget Jones the edge of reason and it said big 15% okay oh the algorithm doesn't lie that's why that guy's a billionaire (laughs) come on Bridget Jones's baby 30% (laughs) that's why that guy's that's why that quant's a billionaire (laughs) well we should say that like Sharon McGuire being back does make a a difference this feels this feels a lot more comfortably like it is in the world of like what a bridget jones story ought to be could be is has like a better grasp on like what is appealing about about her and mark darcy than Mm. the second movie did i think there is a little more craft on the directing and writing of this although it's not it's 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 not masterful it is at least a little bit more confident and i i was grateful that the director of the first one um returned onto this one um Mm -hmm. what do we think about this series this franchise and about like what bridget jones is and represents for people for good and ill just 
Just, you know, just a simple question. Um, you, you know, just a simple yes or no. It's, we'll I don't know. I don't like it. I threw something huge at y'all. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out, like, how to zoom back on this thing and and try to figure out, like, what, what do we have to say about Bridget Jones and her diary and her baby and the edge of her reason? I, I think it was introduced as, like, I don't know, as, as this person being... You know, obviously life circumstances are going to differ, and she also has, you know, a, a wacky level of privilege even at the outset. But she was introduced as somebody fundamentally relatable whose, you know, foibles and strengths, like, uh, you know, I, I, I think that around the turn of the century was when people started maybe allowing themselves or realizing that it's kind of okay to be a little bit of a piece of shit, you know? Like, I feel like I, I can't really... I don't really see that notion depicted in like pre 2000 pop culture all that much. I mean, there's, there's surely some that I'm like just not thinking about, but like popularizing being kind of a piece of shit and, Mm. and saying like that, that's okay. And that, you know, you will still, you still have the ability to live your dream to, to realize your goals. Like, I think that is an essentially like, good message you know like i i think that the methods through which um it tackles those ideas are 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 certainly dated and sometimes reflect uh aspects of our culture that like we should really fucking try to eradicate but like the essential diamond within the coal of this thing is just that like you can be kind of a piece of shit and still be a good person and I think that that really shines through in the first one and is pretty much completely obscured in two and three. Like, that's the that's the germ of the thing. That's, like, why people liked the first one so much, right? Like, right. I think so. And it just kind of, like, it just gets snuffed out real fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think in 2001, and I think Ellen talked about this a lot, and I really appreciated her perspective because she watched it and read about it in real time in 2001 and Mm -hmm. sort of gave me insight into like how that was a big deal then how a character like Mm -hmm. Bridget Jones was a big deal and did open up the world for like people who were different and women who are different um it's just that now I don't know Mm -hmm. it's it's tough now because now I'm just like well it's hard for me to look at this lovingly, especially where she ends up, you know, especially with what they decided to do. And they, and they double down on all the things that I think were like misguided in the first one. So I respect what this did in the first, like I, like I talked about in, um, two podcasts ago, but I think, um, (laughs) overall this franchise makes a pretty unspecial person special. That's, like, kind of what bugs me about it, is, like, by the end of it, I don't really see that special person that I kind of liked in the beginning. Yeah. Right. I, You know, I think that's actually, like, a, a really lovely way of, of putting it. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know on account of, um, you know, not having been really of age in that time. Um, and for the, for whatever weird thing I am, I am not a woman. 
and there's a lot that I can't speak to, you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> but it it seems as though, to me, what was special about Bridget Jones was that she she gave the women who were reading this book and going to see this movie, like, permission to be flawed and fucked up and not have their shit together and to be a huge mess and to still be loved. Yes. You know, that you can find love or find someone who sees all the things within you that you ought to love within yourself. Um, I think it also, though, like, some of the 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 rough edges that it kind of, like, gives people permission to have is to be uh, completely clueless about any kind of world that exists outside of their immediate ecosystem. Um, yeah, that's such a good way to put it. Yeah. It's, it's okay if sometimes, like, you eat fucking Ben and Jerry's when you're sad. It's okay if, like, sometimes you get bummed out and you need a glass of wine and to, like, pound a pack of cigarettes, like... And it's okay if you're 32 and not single. But it's also okay if you can't pronounce any of these funny fucking foreign names. Yeah. And it's uh, it's okay. You know what else is okay? If you don't want to live up to um, the, the standards being offered to you by the ascendant generation. And it's okay if you just want to play by the rules and settle down with a nice man with your daughter. Or, or I, I believe they emphasize that it's a son. Um, <laughs> and it's okay to only turn to Italians for help in the most dire of circumstances. <laughs> I think when these movies... I think when these movies are firing on all cylinders, they are a, a celebration of a theoretically relatable person who is um, flawed and accident-prone and self-sabotaging and both cruel to herself but also has enough belief in herself to kind of blunder into some of these situations and every once in a while be tenacious and do something brave like stand up to her shitty boss um you know when when we watched the 2001 movie i spent a lot of time wondering like maybe this is really 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 good and i just have like a generation gap from it and now that there's, like, not as much of a generational split with the 2016 movie, it really does come down to, like, no, it, it, it is the sensibility that this is coming from, too, that I find difficult to be absorbed by. I, I also mm -hmm. think, like, Bridget Jones's Baby is a movie that is definitively not made for me. It is made for white women of a very particular age who, like, grew up with this character and maybe for them, like, this was, um, you know, a lovely, enriching, like, reward for sticking with this character. But I, I think it, I think it made the three of us feel um, a little, a little alien from whatever series of British brains that this was coming from. I do, I do want to just do one quick little mini score corner because i know we're on our way out and i didn't say a fucking thing about the music in any of these movies <laughs> and i think that's because although this isn't always the case and there are rom-coms that have had like really good composers doing really good work that's like super keyed into the story and its aesthetic like while that can totally happen and i don't want to like completely besmirch you know theodore shapiro who's 
you know, busting his ass on uh, Along Came Polly and shit like that. A lot of rom-com movies do not open up like a gigantic canvas for what the score can do. They're, they're a lot more like needle drop oriented. And so you usually have like a score that is doing one of two things. It's either happy love music, hooray, they kissed, or it's sad love music, oh no, they broke up. Or it's hijinks music, which will usually have a lot of violin plucking um, and maybe my least favorite instrument in movie score, which is the hijinks triangle. And you know it when you hear it. You hear it on network TV all the time. If it's the funny character from NCIS, sure thing, you're going to hear that little ding, 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 and it makes things so fucking funny. Oh my God, dude, she fell down in the fucking mud and shit. Um, but... The, the music in these movies, score-wise, is kind of indistinguishable, even though it's, like, three really accomplished composers on, like, all of them. Uh, Patrick Doyle, who's, like, Kenneth Branagh's guy, he does the first one. Uh, Harry Gregson Williams, who does, like, a lot of action movies and video games and, like, DreamWorks animated stuff. Um, and a little bit of Spy Kids 1. Um... He did Edge of Reason, and then this one is Craig Armstrong, and he's Baz Luhrmann's guy. Um, and all of these have completely serviceable, fine music. I think it might just be, like, that they're doing the in-between stuff in movies that are carried by, um, like, adult contemporary and, like, a lot of, like, American 70s disco and soul music, which... I'm not, I'm not complaining about, um, I, I think all that shit is really easy on the ears, and I think the first movie has, like, a pretty fucking good soundtrack, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, I, someone smarter than me could find some sort of take on these movies being as white as they are, but having to rely on using a lot of Marvin Gaye music for any of their romance to be taken seriously. Someone smarter than me could weave something together, but I'm running on fumes. So you're just gonna have to just gonna have to plant a seed and say, mull that over. Think something's <laughs> going on there. Do I have a take? No, this isn't <laughs> Spy Kids. I can't synthesize anything here. Um, yeah, just sit back and quant that one over. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, we we were just doing quant riffs in in the group chat all last night, and and they quant reigns. Quant Jack Quant is like. Is the name of a Mr. Show character that Bob Odenkirk plays. Jack Quant is not a, your your romantic comedy billionaire. What language does Quant come from? The the fucking sketch comedy ass name. Fucking it's whitest a, kids you know ass. Fucking. It's a it's a French pronunciation of the word cunt. <laughs> it sounds like. If I tried to write a spy movie when I was 14, like that's what I would name like my lead character. <laughs> or like uh or like one of those like villains that was introduced in comic books in the 1940s um and who just like haven't hasn't had their big resurrection yet um and that's their secret identity cuz really all they do is run around with a big pair of scissors and harass Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Jack Quant. <laughs> those scissors are so fucking huge. <laughs> Uh, Should we get into final rankings here? I am really starting to sweat in my room. Yeah, why not? Sticky. Sorry, Bridget. Um, 
Sorry, yeah. I mean, I'd be... I think she'll be okay. She'll make it, yeah. <laughs> You're right. She'll divorce that guy and marry him again. <laughs> yeah, just one, three, two. Huge gap between one and three and two. And, you know, one has slipped in my estimation some over watching these sequels. Because seeing the stuff that was in one still in these movies is just like, it's just as fucking disheartening. I am so struggling with this. It is by a hair. One, two, three. Wow. And, but that's not fair because I like the the Mark and, I like the Mark and Bridget stuff. Fine. It's one, three, two. I, that's literally how little I know how, how I feel about it. I just know that I hated watching this movie so much and I checked how often, like how soon it was going to end, like every 10 minutes. So and and I did the same for two. So it's really hard for me to say. And I will say I will say the redeeming thing about this is I thought that the love felt earned in this, and um, not much else. I I'll drink to that. <laughs> I'll drink uh, I'll drink four units of alcohol to that. <laughs> I'll smoke eighteen cigarettes to that. Yeah. No, I mean, I it really does like I I don't think it requires like justification that you don't you don't like three a whole lot more than two i think they um something about one feels um out of their grasp but to capture and i i guess i'm i'm grateful that i am in some sort of world where like we've we've got as i tried to articulate in episode one and i think did a kind of a clumsy job of i am glad that there are relatable uh comedy heroes um played and written by women who are lovable because of everything that's fucked up about them and if we just had to metabolize this character to get to fleabag as bad as i feel saying that because i know there are people who care about bridget jones and i'm just not one of them yeah then i Mm. guess in that case i'm i'm glad we passed this fiber um hard one three two mm, for me mm-hmm. and and if mm. if these movies are your comfort food and you listened to all three episodes and got this far into them um thanks for listening to dead horse please be sure to rate review and subscribe <laughs> rate us five stars on apple pod no i'm sorry if we shout on your favorite movie uh, why are you listening to this show except ellen how are you doing ellen love, we you, love ellen. you ellen love you ellen. um Something I should have said. Hang on. I also should have said we love you, Ellen, because I just said love you, Ellen. It's like I don't. I she seems really cool. I do not know her though. <laughs> Something I need to go. I I I must talk about this before we sign off, and it is: Did y'all lose your fucking mind when Colin Firth punched through glass to get into her fucking apartment? If for nothing else, hell yeah. I hated watching this movie, <laughs> and I loved that moment. It made me, I stood up and I said, thank you for something. That that moment did really, like, get me. I, I did really enjoy <laughs> that. I, I just wish he'd made a little noise, too, you know. <laughs> Bridget. I wish his hand had been bleeding. Bridget. Bridget. <laughs> and then they would have played uh, Ain't No Mountain High Enough while they have to rush both of them to the hospital. <laughs> they have to take turns carrying each other. <laughs> Dude, isn't it so funny how heavy pregnant yeah, women are? Yeah, it's crazy. That's a funny fucking Especially joke. her, that very clearly not pregnant, very weird, fake pregnant belly. Just thinnest woman, no belly. 
Okay, I'm glad because I was like, I don't really know what a, I, I'm like. I should not be the one who judges like the realism <laughs> of Nadi, a pregnancy that belly. This obviously stuff. Bananas okay. to me. <laughs> okay, good. I was I was wilding out about that thing. It, it's like longer. It's long. But she still looks tiny. She didn't really look pregnant at all the whole movie. You could there's pop a, it with there's a, a needle and it would just go. Yeah. Uh, there's a game I'm playing called uh, Dark Souls, and if you hit the random face generator enough, like it'll start to like really fucked up things will start to happen with the face, and it's like funny. And then when you turn them to the side, like some uh completely uh invisible from the front ridge has appeared on their face that into that now <laughs> takes up half of the frame and that's what i felt whenever she turned to the side i was like why is the pregnancy belly just, just long? long it just it long. looked like her belly was very thick like 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 it looked like very thick but filled with like b- building blocks <laughs> like it just yes spy kids four ass pregnancy belly yeah absolutely spy kids four may have been a better movie about pregnancy i don't know i've never <laughs> i don't participate in pregnancy myself god willing um but this... like i for for some reason every time bridget was like groaning in labor I just kept thinking about all the comedic beats in Spy Kids 4 where Jessica Alba will go from being sweet to, like, groaning in horror and, like, growling. I, you know what this movie needed is Jessica Alba Mm -hmm. should have played Bridget Jones. That's what a studio executive (laughs) sounds like. The president of Universal. Bridget Jones' spy baby. (gasps) (gasps) Green light it. Green light it. All right. I gotta get out of here before I my sweat starts getting into my eyes. There's no hair to stop no it. Um, actually, <laughs> thinking night, about it. Oh, good night, Bridget. <laughs> good night, goodbye. Good night, Bridget. goodbye, Bridget. I hope that you you have montages of, on your iPad for the rest of time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Dead Horses, Becky Granger, Dixon Cashwell, and PJ Audenzia. We'd like to thank Max Huffman for our podcast art. Go to maxhuffman.com and order his book, Cover Not Vinyl. To follow us on social media, check us out at Dead Horse Podcast on Instagram and Dead Horse the Pot on Twitter. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please rate us five stars and your variation of the name Jack Quant. This theme song is courtesy of Dixon Cashwell. You know him from the last two hours.